electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Welcome to CBC's One Market in San Francisco. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Uh, uh, okay, well, what the heck happened to this market today? Not long ago, it seemed like everything was a winner. But now there are winners and there are losers. With the Dow dropping 157 points, a lot of losers. While the S&P inched down 0.13%. Hey, the Nasdaq gained 0.36%. A lot of winners. The reason? Did it finally dawn on people that the president means business? That he's willing to sacrifice profits on the order of protecting manufacturing jobs? Did Wall Street suddenly realize that building physical walls with Mexico and financial walls with Europe and Asia might not necessarily be the greatest way to promote international commerce? I think that's how you end up with a day like today where the semiconductors tried to lead us higher, but almost no one else followed. How else can you explain that Micron, the commodity chip maker, led the market and only a handful of companies, all related to Micron in some form or another, followed in its footsteps? The losers? Almost everyone who needs world trade in order to rally. Hence the endless selling in companies like United Technologies, Caterpillar, Honeywell, Boeing, are best. The latter, Boeing, down 10 points in a truly dispiriting session for the bulls. First, let me just say that the clients in these internationally oriented stocks reflect the belief that the Trump administration is going to go after every company from every country to see if it's dumping here, with the tariffs on steel and aluminum being simply the tip of the iceberg. Today's actions seem to say that the president is a lot tougher on China and it is going to spill over around the globe. You know what? I think that's actually wrong. When I learned today that Larry Kudlow might, we don't know, might be named the chief economic advisor to replace Gary Cohn, that was a signal, I think, to buy these stocks, not sell them. Could the market be that wrong? Sure. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. The idea that you should sell these fantastic stocks strikes me as misguided because Kudlow or someone of his ilk, because that's obviously what the president's considering, would find a way to scale back the rhetoric while still being tough on China. We know that Larry, who was my partner for four years on Kudlow and Kramer, is a front runner. 
Larry is a consummate free trader who despises tariffs, and there's no way he'd ever do anything to damage the prospect of our international companies. In fact, I think he'd do just the opposite. Larry's the master at arguing his view, and if he gets the job, I think Wall Street will eventually stop worrying about a devastating trade war. Although, obviously, Larry has gotten a little tougher on China in his rhetoric in the last few weeks. And if that's the case, if Cudlow does get it, everyone who sold Boeing and Caterpillar and United Technologies today is going to feel like a first-class dope. I don't believe these companies will be closed out of large markets. I don't believe the raw costs will be blown out by small tariffs on steel and aluminum. No wonder many of them rebounded from the lows as the day went on as they talked about Larry's prospects. Remember, we have a synchronized worldwide economic expansion going on here. And it's phenomenal for these companies. And that's what matters. Not some hiccup related to trade policy. Again, Larry's not been asked, but he would serve if he got the nod. And he's been practicing all his life for this job. He is not going to blow it if he gets in. But again, he's my friend and my old partner. I play with an open hand. But at the moment, the big institutions who control the action clearly don't agree with me. So you get these incredible pullbacks and the pullbacks buying opportunities. So as long as the narrative is in charge, let's talk about what's working. What did triumph today and why? It's pretty simple. One word. Tech is what's working. 26% of the S&P is tech. Quite the coincidence that we get a tech rally the week I do the show from one market in San Francisco, right? I mean, who knew that I was that influential? Anybody? Anybody? Maybe that uh, I saw someone under a yellow. Can you get that guy under that yellow umbrella? I had lunch right there, though, yesterday. The truth is tech has been on fire for a long time. This is now the seventh straight week of gains for this group. What's fueling this move? First, the stalwart, Micron. Just the kind, it's just got the kind of research report that the bulls can only dream of. Legitimate firm, Nomura Incident, came out with a piece headlined, Buy the Breakout, $100 target price. Now, I've been telling uh, you that something like this was on the horizon. Micron's the backbone of everything from the personal computer, which has gotten a second wind, and to the data center, which is the strongest part of the entire food chain. It was only a matter of time before an analyst made one of these incredibly bold calls for a vertical double in the stock. Holy smokes! After spending months wallowing in the 40s, Micron broke through $50 last Monday, and since then it's run all the way to 59 The excitement, it's become palpable. Why? because nobody believed this company had any staying power coming into 2018. See, Micron is widely viewed as a commodity chip maker. Its products are thought to be easily duplicated. So everyone assumes it's only a matter of time before its two principal markets, dynamic random access memory, we know them as DRAMs, and flash memory get glutted because of oversupply. But Micron's been adamant that this time is different. Now, their chips are now more specialized and proprietary, harder to make. However, as I say often, and I say it, I'm going to say it again tonight, the graybeards simply refuse to believe that anything can ever be different. These are the people who constantly tell you that the four most dangerous words in the English language for investing is, this time it's different. In the case, in the case of Micron, it turns out that this time it is different. Not only is there very little mimicking going on, but Micron ships are exceedingly difficult to make and are in very short supply thanks to the surprising resurgence of the personal computer, the endless growth of the data center, and yes, a dearth of the machines that companies like Lamb Research make that you need to do these chips. Now, what Micron leads is not going to mean much for the S&P 500. There's just not enough overlap. 
But there's a ton of overlap in the NASDAQ. First, we have the companies that make flash and hard drives like Western Digital or Seagate. Just like Micron, these two stocks were trading like it was all over but the crime. The so-called experts figured flash and hard drives would peak, just like they always do, like Lamb does. No, instead, they're getting, they're gaining, they're, they're accelerating earnings, and the stocks are soaring. I think they will keep soaring. Why? Because they are incredibly, incredibly inexpensive, even after days like today. Second, part of this has to do with strength in the data center, and that's all about the cloud, which is dominated by Amazon and Alphabet. So they're off to the races, too. Same goes for the cloud kings, the software companies that are the best way to play this transformation. I'll tell you which ones make the cut later in the show. You are going to want to own this list of seven. What else is in the data center? NVIDIA. You got Broadcom in the mix, too. But it's also being boosted by rumors that Intel's planning to take a run at the company. So what's not rallying, but has become integral to the physical cloud structure and to all the Internet of Things? Intel! I think the rumors that Intel's going to buy Broadcom, rumors that we first heard last Friday, are, for lack of a better word, total poppycock. You're getting a chance to buy one of the best companies in the world at an unjustified discount. I hesitate to dignify the convoluted trajectory of this rumor, but I'll go there for one second. The idea is that if Broadcom manages to acquire Qualcomm, then turning around and buying Broadcom would give Intel the leg up on all things Apple. So Broadcom's got to be able to buy Qualcomm, which hasn't been able to buy NXP. And when they do, then then Intel's going to come by and buy the Shebang. Are you kidding me? What's the matter with this reason? How about Hock Tan, Broadcom CEO? Hock Tan doesn't want to sell. That's what matters. It's foolhardy to wager that this deal will come to fruition. Which leads me to the one micron-related stock that's at a discount that I would buy tomorrow, and that's Intel. I think it is down for what I call non-rigorous thinking. Here's the bottom line. I think the industrials are being punished for all the wrong reasons, but if you prefer to stick to the themes that this market likes at the moment, tech is running. And it's crazy that Intel got left behind. Best of the best, 14 times earnings. Everything else in that group is up except Intel. This time is different. Intel's a buy. I need calls, and I need them right now. I want to go to Robert, my old home state of Pennsylvania. Robert! Jim, I'm calling about Shutterfly. They just announced they're purchasing LifeTouch, which has had significantly declining sales. And since Shutterfly is using all debt to make the purchase, it, it means the combined companies will have $1.6 billion in debt and $2.2 billion in sales. What do you think of the prospects for the merger and this? Well, uh, people love the, people. Look, people love Shutterfly. Why? Because the company has absolutely incredible momentum. I don't get in front of momentum when it comes to tech right now. I got to tell you, they got geez, they, they priced that debt really cheap. And so I think what you have to worry about is uh, if you don't like the stock, boy, the market sure does. And therefore, I think you can go higher still. How about Jonathan in Arizona, please? Jonathan. Hey, Jim. Hi, Desert Arizona. Booyah to you. How are you today? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like uh, NCA booyah to you. What's going on? All right. Walmart. Been watching it. 45-day downward slide. The first round of the uh, Trump tariffs are now a reality. I'm concerned that Chinese retaliatory action are going to further affect the P.E., increasing downward pressure on the stock. What do you think? I think Walmart is an amazing sourcer. I think they can source it all over the globe. I think a lot of the clothes and things you think are made in China are no longer there. The reason why we don't we are tepid on Walmart is because the e-commerce slowed down rather dramatically. And that's what we need to see accelerate, not slow down. They have got to become more of a cloud king. All right, tech reigns supreme. These stocks are the winners today. But you know what? The only one that sold at a discount was Intel. 
It's a buying opportunity because I do not think they are going to buy Broadcom. All Man Money tonight coming to you hot. Coming in hot from CNBC's One Market in San Francisco. My old pal Larry Kudlow. Is he a front runner to replace Gary Cohn as Trump's economic advisor? I'll tell you where I think it's happening, what it stands for, for your mark, for your money, and then for the market. Then I got my head in the clouds. Tell you what, why there's a lesson to be learned when it comes to the red hot sector. And it's a company that works with the likes of Home Depot, Shopify, and Coca-Cola. And it has been on one amazing tear over the past year. So is it time to consider Splunk? I'm cave diving with the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. If the president really does pick Larry Kudlow to replace Gary Cohen as his top economic advisor, the frontrunner for the moment in what can be a very mercurial White House, what will happen? First, we're going to be making many more exemptions for our allies with these new steel and aluminum tariffs. Second, the media will lap it up because Larry has a way of being reasonable and non-confrontational, yet stern. I was his partner on Cudlow and Kramer for four years, and we rarely agreed on political issues. For example, we don't agree on trade, but he always did his very best to convince me I was wrong, and he did so in a thoughtful and gentlemanly way. As he would always say before he delivered a roundhouse, Jimmy, with all due respect. Third, if Larry Kudlow is back in the White House, a reprise from his regular days, China has something to worry about. Unlike Germany and Japan, or even Korea, all of which go overboard promoting their own exports, Larry believes that China is simply an unfair actor, and Larry does want fair trade. Every country tries to put its thumb on the scale with trade, but Larry said over and over again that tariffs are a terrible idea because they end up punishing consumers, meaning everybody who works for a living. However, Larry has changed his tune to be closer to the president when it comes to free trade with China. Remember, that's uh, he favors fair trade, not free trade anymore, which is one of the reasons why I think he'll get the job. Fourth, he'll argue the Ronald Reagan position in this White House. In an administration that's starved of history and institutional knowledge, he'll bring tons of it. Put it all together, uh, and on the tariff issue, specifically our allies are going to get a friendly voice in the West Wing while our rivals will be chided, hopefully, into doing the right thing, somewhat different from the president's recent meat axe approach to these kinds of things. Now, Larry spoke to the president yesterday. He is very much a contender for this job as of this evening, although I repeat, the president does have a habit of changing his mind. If Cudlow gets the job, it will be a very big loss for the Peter Navarro camp, which believes that we need to extend tariffs across the board because China will keep finding ways to dump as long as as we allow other countries to sell steel here duty-free. And that has been the way that I've been seeing it, I'll tell you that much. Remember, the whole issue here is that China subsidizes state-owned firms to make steel and aluminum in order to create hundreds of thousands of their jobs. They don't really care that they're damaging the American steel industry and crushing our workers. You know what? It's actually just a side benefit for them. And while I think the Navarro's camp approach would be more effective at reining in the Chinese government, the truth is that we simply can't stop them on our own. 
The United States is just one market among many. We can't force the Chinese to stop dumping unless we get our allies, especially Europe, on board with imposing some anti-dumping tariffs of their own. I do believe that Larry Kudlow can help do that. Still, Larry stands for free trade and strong dollar. And that means the American consumers will have more purchasing power. But we also may end up exporting a lot of jobs to foreign countries with lower labor costs and a lower currency. Hey, it's a trade-off. And personally, I think the trade-off is wrong. But understand one big thing. Larry Kudlow is a patriot. And he'll do what he believes is right for as many Americans as possible. If that means helping them with a bountiful stock market, he'll try to do so. If it means helping them with cheaper South Korean cars, he'll make it happen. If it means siding with the millions who consume rather than the hundreds of thousands who produce, that's what he'll do. That's what he'll argue for. However, if he disagrees with the president, he'll state his case, and then he will back down to the president. That's why I think he's a good choice. He'll be a very credible expert to argue with the president, which I believe is what Trump wants and is why I bet that Larry Kudlow gets the job. Much more mad money ahead, including Mike take on some of the top stocks in one of the hottest sectors in the market. Don't miss the coronation tonight of the Cloud Kings. The, then Splunk shares are up more than 20% over the past month. Could the company continue its move? I'm talking with the CEO about what's ahead. And from payroll to staffing, Workday helps keep the workplace running all from the cloud. Could there be more in store as it shakes up the industry? Boy, is that stock red hot. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO. I suggest you stick with Kramer. Whenever the smoke clears after some serious market-wide turmoil, it always pays to identify the stocks that bounce back the hardest. And since the bottom last month, few groups have performed better than the cloud stocks. These things are like rocket ships. Even a violent sell-off ultimately turns out to be nothing more than a pit stop for these stocks. So since we're out here in San Francisco this week, the beating heart of the global technology industry, I think we need to kick things off by identifying these anointed winners that simply refuse to quit. I'm calling them the cloud kings, the seven software companies that are transforming the way their customers do business. I've been telling you about the cloud revolution for years now, trying to get you in these stocks over and over. But the truth is, it's still in its early stages, which is why I still like the seven kings of the cloud. Adobe, Salesforce.com, ServiceNow, Red Hat, VMware, Splunk, and Workday. The latter two are featured on tonight's show, and you're going to hear what I mean. What's so special about these guys? All right, not only have their stocks been incredible performers in recent years, but they all rebounded like crazy since the market bottomed a little over a month ago. All seven cloud kings are up anywhere from 17% to 30% from their February 9 lows. And this is why I want you to have the full list, because the cloud kings have run. In many cases, their stocks are indeed expensive up here. The kings come at a cost, best of breed. Regular viewers know I do hate to chase them. But on the rare occasions when these names give you a dip, they have been fabulous outright buys. That's why tonight I want to explain to you the thesis behind each of the seven cloud kings. Some of it truncated. I'm sorry, but I had to get all this in here so that they'll be ready the next time everyone panics about some macroeconomic worry that has nothing to do with the cloud, whether it's inflation or interest rates, or trade wars, because that's when you have to pounce. Let's take them one by one, starting with Adobe. When it comes to digital media and marketing software, Adobe is in a league of its own. If you want to create a gorgeous website that keeps your customers coming back for more, 
You can't do it without Adobe software. This company has a terrific long-term track record, but the stock really took off a couple of years ago after Adobe began to transition from an old-school on-premises software company to a modern cloud-based software-as-a-service business. In other words, rather than paying Adobe a one-time upfront license fee to use, say, Photoshop, instead they'll sell you a subscription so that you keep paying them month after month after month, year after year after year, like my daughter does. This new model has turbocharged the numbers. That's how these guys were able to grow their sales at a 25% clip last time they reported. This is a big company. Those are staggering numbers. Now, Adobe reports again this Thursday, and while I expect them to give us yet another excellent quarter, I'm hoping that some minor line item will be a little weaker than anticipated, as happened a couple quarters ago, and then that stock will sell off, and it gives you a chance to buy at a lower level. I adore the stock of Adobe, but it just made a new all-time high today. So if you don't already own it, put this Cloud King on your shopping list. Wait for it to come in. It was not the NASDAQ day to come in. Next up, there's Salesforce.com. You know what? It's more than a Cloud King. It's the king of the cloud. Remember, under the leadership of CEO Mark Benioff, Salesforce practically invented the cloud. Certainly the, the guys who popularized the software as a service business model. Salesforce started off as a play on customer relations management. Basically, customer service. But since then, their cloud platform has expanded to cover marketing, digital commerce, community management, analytics, applications development, Internet of Things, integration, collaborative productivity tools, and professional cloud services. It's a lot of clouds. At its core, though, the platform is all about helping other companies harness technology to understand what their customers want. That's what Salesforce is about. And Salesforce is very, very good at helping companies find out what the customer wants. They're the fastest enterprise software company to hit a $12 billion annual revenue rate. We saw that last week. As I said before, the company's latest quarter was a heart-stopping work of staggering genius. The results weren't just great. They were the numbers I expected to see maybe a year and a half from now. And that's how fast they're growing. As a subscription-based company, they key, the key metric here is not the 24% sales growth. It's the unbilled deferred revenue, which increased by 48% year over year. And remember, that, that doesn't count, but it's basically cash on hand. My jaw practically hit the floor. I thought they had to be just numbers that were some typo when I saw them. I thought it was a mistake. That's how powerful it was. And I wouldn't be surprised if the future looks just as bright now that Salesforce is using artificial intelligence to better predict consumer behavior. That's a terrific selling point. It's Einsteinian. Okay, so Einstein is their, that's like their slogan. It's actually their kind of a mascot. Again, though, the stock has run dramatically, and I like it have a lot more on a pullback, but so does everyone else, which is why it doesn't do that. The third cloud king, ServiceNow. This company is all about efficiency. They help corporate information technology departments build their own applications, and they make it possible for businesses to automate lots of non-revenue generating jobs in human resources, legal, finance, security, and facilities management. In other words, I mean, the software helps companies reduce expensive labor costs, and they are the bane of the white-collar jobs. Some people at my old firm, Goldman, used to call them dead wood. That may not sound like a compliment. Well, hey, but a fabulous, it's fabulous for ServiceNow's earnings. Anything that helps other companies save a fortune is going to be a really good business. Sure enough, the last time ServiceNow reported its subscription revenues grew at a staggering 44% clip. Guys, you don't know how big this is. I'm happy with high single digits for most companies. 
Where is this business headed? Right now, the company gets a ton of credit for its IT services division, but I think the rest of service now, all the auxiliary businesses that involve automating back office jobs is the real future of the company. However, this is another one just made a record high today. So please be patient. Put it on your shopping list. Wait for a better entry point. The fourth cloud king got a downgrade today. I thought it, I thought it would just get slammed. Uh-uh. It's Red Hat. The world's uh, leading purveyor of open source enterprise software, everything from Linux-based operating systems to storage virtualization and middleware. And that's what they're known for. But lately, Red Hat has also made a push into the nuts and bolts of the cloud. If you're running a company and you want to build your own private cloud network, Red Hat's become your go-to name. Just last week, VMware told us a compelling story of boarding to the cloud. So we got to include them, too. That's Red Hat's wheelhouse. I'm put, I, I put VMware on my list, too. If it wasn't, you know, who knows? A little convoluted in terms of what could happen with the sale. But I like this stock before it was a cloud play. But the growth has really taken off since they made this move. And I like it even more. How strong is Red Hat? The stock got hit with a downgrade this morning. Valuation worries. And while it initially shed more than three bucks, it rallied back and erased most of the losses, closing down 40 cents. That said, you might get a better opportunity sooner than you think. Red Hat reports in two weeks, and, a, and Wall Street has a history of misunderstanding this company's results, causing the stock to get hit. It got hit really badly last time. Let's hope that happens again. But these dips have made for excellent buying opportunities. And again, don't want to convolute the two. I like VMware. VMware is in kind of a, a discussion about what's going to happen with Dell. Makes it tougher. Great growth. Red Hat, great growth. Caught it downgrade. Didn't even matter. Finally, the last two cloud kings are Splunk and Workday. But since both companies are here with us tonight, I'm going to just give you a brief overview to whet your appetite. Splunk is a cloud-based data analytics play that helps companies make the best use of their data. Workday is all about making its clients more efficient with its finance, human resources, and analytics software. It's another white-collar job killer. Where are we going to put these people to work? i got to get on that case. Both companies are phenomenal growers with resilient turbocharged stocks, and they can tell you their stories far better than I can. The bottom line, when you identify a powerful theme that's revolutionizing the way we do business, find the biggest winners, wait for a good entry point, and then hang on for the ride. Here they are again. It's Adobe, Salesforce.com, Mark Benioff, ServiceNow, Red Hat, VMware, a little convoluted ownership structure there, Splunk and Workday. They are the kings of the cloud, and they all belong on your stock market shopping list. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Jerry in Florida. Jerry. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Jerry in Florida. Booyah. Uh, calling today. I currently own Nokia. And okay, I'm kind of taking a long view on it. And considering what they're doing in the 5G space, I think I should stay there. What should I do with it? A couple of weeks ago, they talked about the 5G space. And I was most encouraged. But I got to tell you, Jerry, you and I are the only two. I didn't think it, I, I, it was like nobody listened. It was like people talking about Nokia, which is a river in Finland. I am with you. I think the stock can go to seven. Just kind of creep up there. All right, let's go to Will in Kentucky. Will. Hey, Jim. It's great to talk to you again. First off, like the rest uh, of your Will. stock students, I want to tell you thank you to all of you, uh, to you and all of your other associates at CNBC, like David Faber and everybody who's taught me so much about the stock market. Uh, now, speaking of which, let's make some money. Alterex. Okay, I like that concept. Um, you've mentioned it before, um, and its volatility has just risen off the charts along with its price, which is good. Um, but I right. just want to know, Jim, what is going on with the volatility at this point, and where should we go from here with it? Data storage and retrieval are unbelievable. 
I cannot believe how strong they are, which is why AYX still makes sense. I can't. It's just like the other stocks I talked about. Please pull back, pull back, pull back. All right. Cloud adoption is only just beginning. And the kings, Adobe, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Red Hat, VMware, Splunk, Workday, all belong to your shopping list for some sort of niggling decline where you can do some buy. Much more man money ahead. The kings of the cloud have just been anointed. But what do the company leaders have to say? I'm watching the throne sitting down with the CEO of Splunk to see how the company's been able to continue its move higher. What a quarter. Then, that's not all. I've also got Workday on deck to see if it could, it's going to run again. It sure did after earnings. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with the Kings and stick with Craven. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. We rely on you when you're our eyes and ears out west. Uh, Look forward to a solid week. Thanks so much. Thank you. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Earlier tonight, I told you that Splunk, the software analytics play, is one of the kings of the cloud. Here's a company that helps its clients harness the power of their data to get real-time operational intelligence, which they can use for security, new application we've got to talk about, uh, application delivery, and analytics, most importantly, among other things. Why is Splunk cloud, cloud royalty my new term? It's not just because the stock is in fuego. Get this, up 62% last year, another 30% this year alone, including a 19% gain since the last time we spoke to the company in January. The fact is, Splunk shot the lights out when it reported less than two weeks ago, delivering a much smaller than expected loss with higher than anticipated sales, up 37% year over year. I should talk about billings, up 44%. We got to know how bullish was this? All right. Well, since we're in their hometown, let's check in with Doug Murray. He's the president and CEO of Splunk to learn more about the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Murray, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Tim. So happy to have you out here. Oh, thank you. I love being here. I love being with you, Doug. I, I saw this quarter. And the first thing I said was, this is the quarter I expected you to do 18 months from now. How could you have actually beaten by such a big extent? Is it just court? Is it just contract after contract that you signed? You know, what we have said over and over, including when I've been here with you, is this market we play into is enormous. Every company has got to become a data-driven company or they just won't compete going forward. And Splunk is the best solution out there to help companies understand this multitude of data that's coming in every single day and turn it to a business outcome, a true competitive advantage. Well, but I think that you sell yourself short. This time, so many states... So many municipalities, airports, colleges, these all need the data too? (laughs) They do. Everyone needs to become a data-driven company. And I think one of the benefits we've seen is as a company, we've become more and more prescriptive with our customers on what should they be doing with big data. It's a huge push for us this year that we started last year, package Splunk more explicitly by prescription so that customers get really rapid time to value. 
GDPR is a great example. Right? That one's coming big this year. About a quarter and a half ago, we had our European team really regulation. Yeah, big general data protection right. regulation. It's not just for European companies. Right. Everyone thinks that if you do business in Europe, you better be GDPR compliant. So they really they outline for our customers. Well, just, wouldn't you say that the U.S. companies have to be even more GDP compliant? They're the ones that could really get in trouble. Huge. The the potential fines right. are are enormous. Um, but it's a complex problem. So we've outlined what data should you read into Splunk. What should right. that data look like? What kind of dashboards do you need so that if you care about GDPR and all of us should, right. you know how to use Splunk to ensure your overall data compliance? Okay, so we've talked about retail before, but I'm going to propound a thesis. Okay. If in the, in the last six months, companies realize if they're going to do it themselves, if they're going to do it on a cloud base, no matter what cloud, or if they're going to do it even on Amazon Web Services, nobody gets this data without using you, and no one can figure out what it means for the customer without using you. Yeah, we're, we are really excited to be part of this AWS right. framework. We've got an app for AWS. Um, so it really helps customers that are in the cloud get significantly better visibility on what's happening. But you're doing that so you understand what are your customers doing on the other end. And whether you're drawing data from your stores or whether you're just using your online data and mobile data, how do you understand customer sentiment, customer behavior, product movement, so that you can actually take advantage of these terabytes of data that most companies have at their fingertips every day if they know what to do? Okay, so at the department store level, my folks both worked at department stores. Is it not this almost the same as it was a long time ago where they're just saying, you know what, I think they like this color. Let's do it. But w- without any sort of uh, data analytics. If, if you're doing it that way, it's going to be harder and harder to be successful. That is not the way that Amazon's doing it. That's not the way that Mercado Libre is doing it. That's not the way Alibaba's doing it. The worlds are being disrupted because people are taking a data-driven approach right now to understanding product velocity, customer needs, and there are signals, Wi-Fi hotspots, mobile devices, sensors on the stores, that if you know how to trap, you can do a much better job of understanding what your customers need and listening to that customer so you can be successful. Now, some, uh, something new since we talked, you, have, you bought a security company. We did. And out of nowhere, that security company looks like it has an awful lot of clients because this quarter had an awful lot of business in security. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good quarter for us in security. We've done this like our fourth acquisition in 12 months. Okay. So I'm really excited about the momentum that we're getting around M&A. Uh, we bought a company called Phantom, which was a partner of Splunk's. We share a bunch of customers. Right. Um, and you can think about them. If Splunk is the brain, we take all this data and we process it. Phantom is the nervous system. It's like when a brain says something... What happens? And did you do the right thing? Right. Are you learning as you're doing uh, so that you can get more intelligent on both ends, both the doing and the brain? And Phantom really helps us with that, uh, that, that orchestration piece of did I do the right thing? All right. Now, I have to tell people what it's like to be joyous because conference calls often determine the trajectory of a stock. And yours just didn't stop. It starts with a back of a market analyst. He's a rebel and a runner. He's a single turning green. He wants to run the big data machine. I mean, what is this? How many, how can there be poetry from an analyst? That was a very beautiful rush quote. <laughs> um, it, was, it, was, it was a really, really nice year. We've right. gone through a whole host of transformations across marketing, right. sales, product. And it was nice to see our customers starting to get, understand more, how do I let Leverage data to drive my business, um, and so it was. It was. It's great to have calls when the numbers are good, and it was a. It was a fun. Call. All right. Well, I'm going to finish this for you because you're too modest. 
These guys really love you. Actually, I know a lot of your customers that love you, <laughs> which is pretty good. That's Doug Murray, president and CEO of Splunk, SPLK. I am telling you, 18 months from now, you're going to see the quarter. No, you saw it this quarter. <laughs> Man, money's back after the break. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Crazy much about Farkles. One of the same things talked about about us. Just believe it or not, the course stuck with me. I'm playing this out. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Crazy much about Maurice in Florida. Maurice. Hi, Mr. Kramer. First of all, I want to I want to congratulate you for educating the average investor. And the question I'm going to ask you is: with the tariffs uh, on steel and aluminum, what are your thoughts about GLW? Uh, you know, I think that GLW, not not that affected. I do like the company very much. The stock has not been acting very well, but I'm going to bless it, Maurice, and thanks for those kind words. Kristen in New York. Kristen. Hi, Jim. My question is about Kindred Healthcare, KND. With baby boomers getting older, will the need for nursing homes continue to go up? If you don't like Kindred, what do you like in that sector? Uh, the only one I'm recommending is somewhat it's someone in that sector would be Ventas. Uh, Deb Kafaro, I think she is money good. Six, it's six and point uh, two seven yield. I really think that that's the right level. I know people don't like the group, but that's the one I like. John in North Carolina. John. Hey, Jim. John Mackey's. Um, I need your John. position on FCX from this point forward. What do you think is going to happen? FCX? Freeport Oh, oh, FCX. No, I like FCX. I think it's fine. Golden Copper will do well. It's a nice hedge on the rest of the market. How about Don in Massachusetts? Don. Hi, Jim. Don. How you doing? Hey, Don. Yeah, it uh, seems like this stock has bottomed and is now on its way up. So I would like your thoughts on this options trade. What do you think of buying MCD? June 15, 2018, 175. Forget the calls. I like Steve Easterbrook. I would just go by the comment. I'm not going to recommend calls on the show. That's a different show. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. So far, 2018 has turned into a kind of a mixed year for the stock market, but there are some groups that just won't quit. That's why I'm out here in San Francisco and spending so much time focused on the cloud, because the cloud is one of those extraordinary long-term themes that is revolutionizing the way all of us do business worldwide. Take Workday, the provider of software that helps businesses with everything from human capital management to payroll to employee expense management and procurement. Workday is cloud royalty. Two weeks ago, the company reported a blowout quarter, a truly colossal earnings beat, and those results propelled its stock even further into the stratosphere. It is now up more than 36% year-to-date. This thing, which we have backed almost from its inception, or at least from the show, is smoking hot. Now, earlier today, I got a chance to sit down with Anil Bushri. He's the bankable co-founder and CEO of Workday, who does such a great job. So take a look. Neil, in all the years I've been interviewing you, know, I've been discovering more and more about how you come up with application, application. This is the quarter, I think, that you were not an application. I think you're a platform. Tell us how big that means, what it means for Workday. Well, I hope you're right. Uh, and, and thanks again for having me on your show, Jim. Uh, it's always great to be with you. Thank you. So as, as a company, we've been known as a human capital management company for most of our, of our uh, existence. 
And in, in Q4, we really started seeing the Fortune 500 accounts moving towards our second, our second pillar of financials. And in many cases, they're buying HR and finance together and making it their, their back-end business platform. The HR market might be a 10 to $15 billion market. The finance market is a 25 to $30 billion market. So having success in that market uh, greatly increases our market opportunity. All right. We always want to think of you as banks, but you talk about education, government, healthcare, banks. Yeah. I would figure that a healthcare company brings you in, use your uh, new system, the embedded analytics that you and I have not talked about. They can save a lot of money and also do better by the patient. Exactly. Right. So we start out with a healthcare company running HR and finance together. So it's their administrative uh, solution, really understand people, help them manage their people well, and now understand their finance. Right. But they have other data they want to look at that's not in the Workday system. And so we recently brought out this product, Workday Prism Analytics. Really, I think it's one of the coolest products we've ever built. It has all the context of the Workday data, but you can bring in third-party data. So in the case of the hospital, they bring in patient data and procedure data, marry it with the accounting data from Workday, and now they can understand patient profitability, they can understand uh, procedures that are working or not working from a, from a cost perspective. And it's one of those things that they, they need to do to, to live in this new world of healthcare. Now, this was the quarter where I saw an acceleration in billings growth, an acceleration in operation cash flow, but a step function, something happened. Big new Fortune clients, Fortune 500 clients, just a, a just a fantastic adoption of the cloud, making it so that banks aren't afraid. What was the acceleration in revenue from? Well, I think it really was a great year. Uh, the fourth quarter culminated a, a year that had really strong sales execution from day one. And I think it really comes down to having great products, but really taking care of our customers. And so what you're seeing is, I, I'd say, a tipping point in Fortune 500 on HR where the question is why not cloud as opposed to why cloud. Now it's why not cloud. And we have 175 of the Fortune 500. And so as these cloud companies, as, as these customers look at the different cloud companies, they're going to bump into Workday. We have the network effect of having the happiest customers in our industry. And so it's, I think it's creating a wave of why not cloud. And that's beginning in HR. It's well in place, in, sorry, beginning in financials. Well, well in place on the HR side. Okay, so I'm the financial, uh, I'm top guy. And one of the things that's happened is it's now the CEO. I can see that. It's changed. I say, look, we're going to hurt our quarter. We have Oracle in here. Oracle has got its tentacles in the whole organization. Telling Neil, I know that his, pro his program could save us money, but not short term. We cannot rip out on-premises. I got to say no to Workday. What yeah. do you say? So first of all, uh, I got a lot of respect for Oracle. They're also in the cloud and they're seeing the same phenomenon that, that we're seeing. The legacy systems are just increasingly outdated. So if you think about those systems, they were built 20, 25 years ago. I was part of building one at PeopleSoft. Accounting was different, business was less global. You didn't have things like IFRS or, or 606. You have the wave of new accounting re regulations. At the same point, your CFO and your CEO are looking at accounting data as business data, not just, not just for accounting purposes, to, but to better run their business. Those legacy systems can't get there. And so uh, I think CFOs and CEOs are coming to the conclusion, hey, at some point I'm going to have to rip out those on-premise systems. It's just a matter of when, and then it's a matter of who do I choose to, to help me. Can I go to Workday and say, 
look, I've got orders here every single day. They're costing me a fortune. I have no idea how to make it easier for them. Do you make it easier for them? Yes. Uh, Walk people through because people don't understand the expense of that. So, number one, we take over the, the systems upgrades for you. So, in the legacy world, every 18 months, 24 months, you had to upgrade the system. It could be a six-month project, millions of dollars, lots of people. We do that every six months in two hours. We just upgrade all the customers at once onto the newest version, keeping up with all the new regulations, which there are a lot of, especially for a global company. And then we give you this rich data that your business people can use, your, uh, your uh, employees can use to make better business decisions. We've, just, we've turned a hairy traditional enterprise problem right. into something that more looks and feels like a consumer internet application, but happens to be your finance system. Global businesses. I understand a food business, you did not disclose the name, and a major bank. Uh, this works overseas. Uh, how does it work? Because if you start getting the big food companies, those have been historically not the domain of work. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, the track record in HR, HR is a very global uh, area. Payroll is different country by country. HR rules are different country by country. It gives us the credibility to say, what we did in HR, we can do in finance for right. you. Accounting is actually quite a bit simpler. There's not as many accounting standards. There tend to be two or three different accounting models around the globe. Uh, we now have companies like Aon that are live mostly across the globe. Big insurance. Big insurance okay. company, very global. They're now basically live. Uh, we've got Netflix that uses all of our products, including our finance products. So we've now got the proof points of large enterprises using Workday Financials globally. That is a key criteria, and it's taken a while because it takes a while to build that global footprint. Look, you dropped the bomb. Netflix is a huge, uh, huge company that our viewers watch. We've had them on. Uh, They have the best customer service I've ever seen. Integrate that to what Workday does. So, uh, so they they use Workday as their back end for running their business uh, for for people and for finance. They could have picked anybody. They could have picked anybody. Uh, they were they were working with uh, legacy systems in the past, but they were they were actually an early adopter of our financial systems. And uh, Reed Hastings, our CEO, would send me emails at all hours of the night with things I could fix in the product. He's very good with products, as you know. Uh, and they work with us over time to really build a terrific global platform. It's it's just a great partnership. And we will now we will integrate into their customer systems. So the customer systems and their billing systems will integrate into Workday for them to have a, a seamless business uh, end-to-end experience. Well, congratulations. I felt that this was the quarter that actually turned the whole group, which has not stopped. That's Neil Bushries, the co-founder, CEO, Workday, W-D-A-Y. This was the breakout quarter. I got to tell you, I was shocked at how good it was. Could this market hate the industrials too much? and like the tech stocks too much, particularly the cloud. Well, you know what? We outline the kings of the cloud, but I do believe if my old pal Larry Kudlow does get the top job after Gary Cohn, you're going to wish that you were buying some of these industrials that everybody's throwing away. Because I think he will soften the hard line that we keep hearing about, but still go after China. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.